Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. So I'm Louise Greenwood and I'm really pleased we've got um, Lisa Harding, Michelle Lombardi and Dawn Chowcroft as ever with us today. Also particularly pleased we've got Ed Rendell with us, one of our medical directors, and um, which is great to have Ed on the call. And at 1.30, I'm going to introduce Richard Hull to you from Ash Lane, who Dawn has been working with on flu calculating and calculating the flu for your flu campaign. But first, I'm very pleased that we've got um, Joanna Welsh with us for another one of our um, team at Wessex LMC, so it's our comms officer. And Joe's going to take us through a little bit of commas, which I think will be useful for you and for your patients. So, um, Joe, over to you. Thank you, Louise. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. I'm just going to share some slides with you. Is that okay, Louise? Is That's that been great. Clearly? Yes, please. Thank you very much. That's lovely, Joe. Perfect. Okay, so hi. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Joanna here, and the comms officer. And um, I've just joined you today um, to talk a little bit about our communicating with your patients section on our website. You may or may not be familiar with this. Um, so we've produced this section really with the aim to help support practices in getting messages across to your patients and to really try and cut down on some of that unnecessary patient contact with your GPs. So you can find this page by clicking on the blue comms tab at the top of the website. And then if you click onto the communicating with your patients box, um, it will display the web page there for you. So here you'll find various resources, which we've aimed to really provide for you. So you can either use as posters in your weight rooms or notice boards, um, use on your website or even share with your social media channels for those of you who use uh, Twitter or Facebook. And we know you're short for time and we know you're under strain. So we've tried to make this as easy as possible um, for you to use the resources on this page. And we have messages covering everything from access to general practice and awareness of um, general practice pressures um, to crisis support and medicine management. Um, and you'll see on screen there just a couple of examples uh, of what you can find. Um, you'll also be able to find the latest appointment data posters for your region, which are really impactful resources to share with your patients, particularly around things like DNA rates, which patients might not always consider or think about. Um, so do take a look. Um, the data is taken from NHS Digital. We update these on a monthly basis. Um, so you can go in and find those. And we also have an editable poster, which you can download and populate with your practice's own appointment data. And you should be able to find all this in your reporting or general workforce tab tools in your clinical systems. Um, I'd also like to highlight for you um, the General Practice Communications Toolkit. Again, you can download this from the same page on our website. And for those who aren't familiar with this, um, the toolkit's been developed to support you in explaining to practices how they can safely access general practice. Um, there's lots of examples of messages and templates which you can adapt to suit your needs. And the three areas of focus the toolkit looks at are explaining the different access routes that patients can use to, to request help from their GP practice, helping to explain the difference between online remote triage and remote consultations, and ensuring patients continue to receive the right care from the right person at the right time. Uh, the toolkit has a particular emphasis on, on inclusive access to general practice. And practices in the campaign pilot found that the materials helped raise patient awareness 
and understanding about how to use online consultations with some complaints about um, access actually falling um, in some practices. And you'll see there just a little bit data uh, indicating that actually 64% of all patients felt confident their practice would respond appropriately to an online request. Um, once practices have been using the uh, resources available in the toolkit. So I don't know if you, um, anyone out there has um, used the toolkit or been involved. It's good if you pop in the chat any experiences you may have had that we can share with others. And really, we just want to encourage you to just take a look at the resources. Um, we invite you to really, what we, what we want to know is really how we can help you further. Um, we invite you to fill out this short survey monkey. So you can either scan with your phone and then bring up the QR code and into the survey that way or through the website link there. And we really like to know um, what are your biggest challenges at the moment in communicating with your patients? What would help you to communicate with your patients in a more effective way? And are there any specific resources or messages that we can help produce to support your practice? Again, we know you're short for time and this is like a really difficult thing to find the time um, and, and put out your messages to patients, but we want to make it as easy and streamlined as possible for you. So if anyone has any experiences they want to share, or you'd like to get in touch with me, I've just put my email address there on screen and um, I'd be happy to help and, and hear from you. So thank you. Um, Louise, back to yourself. Yes, thanks, Joe. That's that's fantastic. Um, so I think one of the interesting thing is, are you right to just, just take that's the perfect take the screen, Angela? That was so useful, and we we know it's it's a it's a huge area, but we also know it's a growing area, and we know that some people who've engaged well in this area have found it very beneficial. And I think a really live example is um, the Strep A situation that's going on at the moment. So what, um, we, and that's one of the reasons we particularly asked um, Ed to join us on the call today. So just to sort of set the scene a little bit, obviously we have GPs working with us at Wessex LMCs, also working the practice, and, and we feel the, the, the pressures um, and the GPs that are also sort of witnessing that themselves. So um, Joe has been working on this. And so we've recorded a short podcast. Um, so that's just a, a literally an audio podcast. So that's, that is a, just a, um, a conversation with Dr. Andy Perbrick, who's one of our GPs and our joint CEO with um, Dr. Sanjay Patel, the um, pediatric consultant from the University Hospital in Southampton. Um, and I think, Joe, we're converting that as a podcast, aren't we? So we're going to launch that on Podbean, publish it in the normal way. And I think then what will you be doing with it, Joe? Um, so you will be able to find it on our um, social media channels. Please tweet it, comment, um, share it. We want to get um, the message out there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's important. And I think that with that, we'll have some links to the Healthier Together website that um, that Sanjay refers to in the podcast. And, and we'd just be interested. We, we hope this is going to be helpful for you, for your clinicians to listen to, um, because it gives some really practical, sensible advice. Um, and also the links, there'll be sort of, there's a leaflet coming out, not quite out yet. There's also going to be some information about, we understand there's a problem with the medicine and shortage of some of the, some of the medicines. So how, what sort of age you can encourage a child to swallow pills and how you can do that and if it's a capsule so there's all sorts of practical things we hope that will help um and that's one of the things that um joe is fantastic um with dealing with, with four wessex lmcs that we hope will help you stop you having to do it and it's one message um so thank you joe for your involvement in that and for all you're doing for us and i think that if we can um fill out that survey monkey all we want to do is help and i think that um yeah 
whatever way we can. So thank you, Joe. If you're very welcome to stay on, but if you want to disappear, that's also fine. So I don't know, Ed, if you want to come on a little bit about the um, situation now, which is really ramping up, and we know the practice is under massive pressure. The demand is absolutely astronomical, but also from a personal point of view, you can clearly understand some of the anxiety. Um, so I don't know what your comments are on that, please, Ed. Yeah, I think firstly, demand. We're, we're, we're able to see that a lot more clearly now. We've got GPAS up and running the majority of practices in our area and all three of our ICSs are reporting now. So um, it, we're getting really helpful sort of verbal feedback. We're seeing practices recording a higher level, higher level of uh, distress on the scoring system, but also a lot of verbal comments mentioning um, Group A streps specifically. Uh, and we're and anecdotally hearing a lot about practices who are uh, particularly overloaded with um, with cases. Um, so I think that's why we sort of stretched into this, because I think as an LMC, we, we're slightly cautious around getting into clinical advice and uh, this sort of area. We sort of usually would be trying to be a conduit for the sort of national, regional um, advice. But I think this all sort of hit over the weekend with the, um, and it's hit the media. And I think there's been a, a gap that we've seen and a, a real need from practices that we've tried to step into. So uh, two things, we've um, we've sent out a uh, an information uh, sheet essentially just um, or some guidance for practices written down. So my my counterpart Will Howard, who's a medical director, uh, worked this up, and it's got some written helpful information around sort of lowering the threshold to treat um, and some guidance around antibiotics which you should have received. Um, I think that was yesterday. And uh, when I had the question about Guinness, I was uh, just listening to the very end of the podcast which Louise was on, and, and I I would. Um, uh, I advise you to read uh, to listen to that. I think it's only around twelve minutes, Louise. Yes, uh, it's, it's quite really quick, not, not long at quite all. Quite quick to listen, and it's got Dr. Sanjay Patel, who's a Southampton paediatrician, who's um, uh, links in with the Healthier Together website, and it's really clear um, some clear points and some clear question clear questions about what uh, what's helpful here, um, helpful background, but also some practical advice about sort of you know what age you can sort of think around uh, people sw- uh, children swallowing capsules or tablets and. Um, what to do around the medication. Um, there is a few caveats because we cover um, different areas. So I, I just briefly mentioned, I think that BSW have got slightly different antibiotic guidance. Uh, some of the other areas, I think they they centre on penicillin first, where I think as the other areas, um, this fits in a little bit more with the the concept of amoxicillin first, which is um, what we put out and the Dr. Patel's guidance on the podcast, but I, th- I think we're getting into a situation where it's quite hard to source some of the antibiotics. So I think it, it is more of a, um, it's not more of a first line, it's sort of a, what's an appropriate antibiotic to, to look at. And that's the main message to just lower the threshold, but not, not completely um, disregard all um, clinical demands or acumen, I suppose. So it's got a little bit on the podcast about that, about how you would still, in some cases, not um, give a, an antibiotic. And then we're just working I think in the background, just trying to influence national and regional teams, just trying to get the messaging a bit a bit better. I think we've we've seen nurseries putting out um, uh, information which essentially says any any illness to your child, don't come in and go to a GP. It's you know it's overloading the system and putting other children at risk who can't get into the right place. So that's the the risk here that you're. Um, you, you won't see the uh, appendicitis who would have seen you because they're blocked off for the day and they're delayed getting in. And um, I think also the pressure on um, you know, natal intensive care beds and that sort of thing. So we're just trying to uh, manage that and help. But yeah, in summary, I think we've got the written advice to you uh, that came out. I think that's really helpful. Uh, really um, uh, promote the uh, podcast. Um, and I think the Healthier Together website is also a helpful resource as well. 
Joe, just on the podcast, when's that likely to be available to? Um, so that will go uh, be released this afternoon. We will um, mail out the link to everyone, and we also upload it um, to the homepage uh, as a quick and easy link for people to download there as well. Lovely. And I think one of the things that you mentioned, Ed, was um, medication. And one of the things that um, Sanjay Patel did say on the website was that there's plenty of, of the antibiotics. It's at the manufacturers. It's just not, not at the wholesalers. So it needs to just be sped up from the manufacturer to the wholesalers that they can go out to the pharmacies. But that's where the holdup is. The holdup isn't in the manufacturing. There is a little bit of, there are a few questions in for you, Ed, if you're all right to take these. Yep. So, um, the first one is one of my GPs said to me this morning that duty, when we had already hit Wednesday, whole day numbers at 9.30 said they felt broken. And the comment from the press manager said is, I could have cried. It's just, yeah. it's another straw, isn't it? And what, what can you suggest? What can we offer to help? I think it's really challenging and it's sort of, it's really hard to know. I think there is a true increase in circulating numbers of, of um, scarlet fever. So there is something for everyone to, you know, there is, there are more children around that we would be seeing with this, but I think it's really challenging with the the way the media portrayed this. It's, it's sort of understanding. You know, I've, I've got a small child. I clicked on it to to see what was going on over the weekend to see I've got, I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. So you, you worry about your kids. So it's, um it's challenging, but I think, you know, that level of overload is is too much and that, that's a risk as well. So I think, you know, it comes into the, the sphere of the sort of um, BMA guidance around safer working. So sort of like trying to protect the individual individual clinicians from overload and being um, in a position where they're making mistakes because they're just seeing too many and the organisation, the practices from, again, overload because it's just too much. So um, I think that document gives some helpful advice around how, you know, you have to, you can flex appropriately to say that you're, um, you know, you're towards capacity and you're uh, an interesting comment concept that came up recently is sort of rather than sort of saying, right, that's it. That's in, we're closing and seeing no one after this amount of time is sort of funneling the triage and sort of saying that we're in a you know, huge pressure at the moment and we are only seeing the cases that are not too urgent and you need to go straight to any and not too routine that we unfortunately can't see on the day and sort of funneling uh, as the day goes on or the week goes on just to say, we're we're still open but we're we're really reducing and thinking about which patients we we bring in on the day to protect everyone and maybe else. there's there's an issue when we all know what it's like when you've got your head down and you're absolutely overwhelmed you tend to be mm. isolated too so maybe just to share amongst your practice and amongst the, and all the clinicians that where everybody is feeling the same and i think one of the things that in the podcast this morning that um, sanjay and andy were talking about was the, the reassurance that actually you are doing the right thing it's okay but I think one of the things is that there's so much advice from everywhere and so much anxiety. It must be very, very difficult to keep a cool, calm head. Um, but to share with your colleagues how you're feeling and take 10 minutes to have a coffee with each other, even though you feel you haven't got time to do it, it could be the most useful 10 minutes you spend that day because then you might refresh and go on. And um, if people, if any clinicians want a further conversation, do contact us. Um, I know it's really hard to find the time, but we are here to talk to you and um, we can signpost you then in the right direction. So please don't feel you have to keep, keep it all in. The whole system feels so, so pressurised um, at the moment. Um, another comment um, has come in, um, Ed, you put out lots about Healthy to the website, but still seeing concerned patients who say they've already been to the website and 111 and then coming to us too. Yeah, I saw that one and um, it's a really helpful comment. And the next one, just about the traffic with uh, Altogether Healthier. So um, I'll take that one up just to, to try and link in and see what they're doing about the, um, you know, if the, if the main site we're all using is going down, I'll, I'll make some inquiries to look at that. Um, yeah, like, uh, the next one around uh, 
all of the media go on a three-month holiday over winter, I won't comment on. Um, no, so uh, Ed's, reading the, Ed's reading out the comments. So well, just for the people who are listening on the uh, podcast, Ed, and no, that's fine. I'm just to let you know that we've just had some comments since the Healthy Together website has been down due to so much traffic. And I'm just wondering, and I don't know whether, I'm just talking off the top of my head, Ed, whether we could actually possibly, I don't know, cut and paste the bit that's particularly relevant and put it on our website for our, our doctors. If it's, I don't know whether there's something we can do that's clever with that to make it easier for our clinicians to, to access that more easily. I don't know. Joe, uh, yeah, I, I think it might be slightly challenging. It might be a workaround. I, th- I think perhaps in the first instance, I'll make some inquiries and try and link in there. But if, if people are noticing it um, going down, perhaps I can link in with the office. Um, but we'll try and um, yeah, we'll, we'll, establish well, what's going on. That. That's a really good comment. And yes, um, one comment is, could the whole of the media go on a three-month holiday over the winter? Yes. Um, interesting. Interesting. Um, same with the GTGP yesterday. GP came in and said it was just not safe. We need something to give. They need to income protect cough again so we can release capacity for the urgent work coming in. I think that's a conversation, Michelle, you've been having around with other systems, isn't it? Yeah, we are starting to have those conversations and we're pushing that very much for general practice. So hopefully over the next week or so or next few weeks, you should hear from the ICBs. It's going to potentially vary depending on the ICB that you're or the area that you're in. But we are very much having those conversations and pushing for that. Um, So another comment. Thank you, Michelle. Sorry, Ed, did you want to come back in? Sorry, Ed. I'm just briefly on that, if I may. So, um, yeah, we know of examples where that's happening in the country. So there's another area where they have sort of, um, I think the way of phrasing it is it's continued what happened last year rather than sort of some new thing that we're trying to sort of protect cough and protect um, LES payments. So I think the way of thinking about this is like, why would a system under so much pressure not want to continue with that process they had last year? Why is it suddenly a lot better? So we're trying to make that point to the ICBs and sort of get into discussions on it but yeah you know from our mind it's sort of why why on earth would uh, a system uh, an ICS or an ICB wish to have uh, general practice trying to bring in routine quaff um, appointments when it's we're under so much pressure because um, that's just going to overflow to the rest of the system so we're, we're trying to forcefully make those points and uh, get into those conversations. The next one's quite a tricky one, Ed. Um, our duty list was full by nine o'clock on Monday. Duty doctor ends up with 51 patients on the list, mostly young children with sore throats. We can't direct 111 as 111 sent back to us during opening hours. What should we do to keep things safe? Yeah, and no, I think there, there isn't a safe, uh, easy answer here because all of these are least worse. And if anyone had an easy, safe thing, they, we'd all be doing it. Um, I guess in terms of 111, it has, a, uh, it has the right to sort of book in to um, into practices, but you can re-triage those um, slots unless someone's going to correct me on the on the call, um, and they are limited to a certain amount. So I think it, you know, it it's the analogy, isn't it? You, we, we drive around the country and you see HCVs around the country and um, laybys there taking uh, rests and having a correct rest and are not allowed to do more than they they need to. If you're on a delayed flight um, and your pilot announces, unfortunately the slot we've been given is 20 minutes after the time I'm allowed to fly back because I'm not allowed to do too much. We, we accept those things, but I think we're, we're struggling with um, clinicians um, having that concept of, look, there's an, there's a finite amount that can be done. So I think it's just trying to get that barometer and, and thinking to those things. I think the BMA safer working document, you know, is challenging. I think, you know, if you put it to a number of practices and, with nothing else going on, they were like, "Why on earth would we enact some of these things?" But I think it. I think that's how we'd see it as an LMC. We would want to empower practices to know that others are in a similar similar situation. Others are taking some of the actions 
on it and it's your choice for practice to do it. So we, we know practices are moving from 10 to 12 or 15 minute appointments. We know practices are choosing to try and define their workload and say, I'm very sorry, we're not taking all of the cases. Um, but yeah, we will see because the way the system's up, unfortunately, some will then go to 111 and then come back in. Um, so there isn't an, an easy answer to it, but I think it is trying to turn some of those levers to um, to keep things safe for for both the individuals in the practice and the organisation. And the next question is really following on the same theme. Receptionists aren't trained to make the clinical decision as to who needs to be seen or not. Where should we be sending patients who we simply just can't see? Yep. Again, a challenging thing. So um, it, it's easier in some other areas than others. So I, I think uh, I, I mainly cover the BSW patch and Again, correct me if I'm wrong on the call, but I understand in Salisbury, the walk-in centre still is open in the daytime and up in Swindon, I think they've got another arrangement around urgent care. So if you're you're next to a sort of urgent care centre, it's very easy to say, I'm really sorry, Um, you'll have to go to the urgent care centre. But if you're in a a more rural area and there's nothing else around you, it's really challenging and you've got that long-term relationship with the, the patient to maintain as well. So it's um i think the bmi advice uh, goes around um sort of clear clinical governance and guiding the patient to make their decision so i think that's why people prefer this sort of funneling rather than the cap sort of saying sorry we are closed i think you're saying i'm sorry the the urgent team that could deal with you today is at capacity and it can't take you if you think you're an exception to that we will take your call and uh, look at it but you're going in on that basis that unfortunately everything's full unless you're a very narrow um line which you know you know i guess a, a palliative visit in the last days of life or um a, a child who is not too ill that you would divert to hospital or not too routine you you may sort of still want to trickle some of those cases through it, it's really challenging it's There's so no hard, answer. and those decisions need to be taken by somebody senior uh, senior clinician don't they in the organization because they're, they're such hard decisions it's um, it's not an easy answer um that we yeah if we, if we had the magic wand or the easy answer we would have waved it and said it by now but so we are working on it from your behalf so jenny's just said please can we flag again practitioner health which is also open to perhaps managers all staff all doctors it's a fantastic resource please use it please all the resources use all the resources there are if you can't find them look on our support um uh, support page um another quick uh just comment really we're concerned about collapsing other services like one on and we're always the bad guys we always look like we're being blamed and i think that's part of the the previous comment about the media um yes i think we can just all agree can't we anything else to add on that ed yeah, I, I guess it's a choice, isn't it? I, I, that's the, the hard thing. I think, unfortunately, that may happen. People will say, well, why isn't general practice doing more? And, but it is a choice we will have. And I, I think it's, um, you know, it, with the levels of things we've seen chronically and the levels this week of things, that there has to be a, a conversation about uh, a limit. I think the contractual basis is uh, meeting the re- reasonable demands of the uh, the patient population so it's it's um it's quite an ambiguous statement so it, it takes into you know what is reasonable what's reasonable for the organization what's reasonable for the staff what's reasonable for the patients in terms of access so i, I think that's what we encourage here I, I don't think as an mc we are we're not the bma we're not saying you must enact this i think that's what we're saying as an mc we would want to encourage you to think about these concepts and come to a decision yourself you may decide that you're not going to change anything at this point in time but what would it look like in the future if you were going to change it what would be the next step you would take when would you know you get to that decision point um and i think as an mc otherwise we're trying to you know just 
make sure people are aware that others are in the same situation and others are choosing to take actions along this line. So I think we're just trying to be there as a supportive empowerer to um, to enable practices to to take some of these decisions because they're they're very very difficult to do on your own. You you really feel that I'm doing some harm. I I want to see everyone, but that's the frank situation we're in. Can we do that? We've got another part of queries, but please don't put any more in on this particular subject because I think we've got lots more to get to. But we completely understand how overwhelming it is and how important it is, and we love do hear we do love hearing from you, but it might have to be on an individual basis. So. Um, usually regarding GPADs, you usually have access, but had an awful result in GPAD, I beg your pardon, and was mentioned in the paper. It does feel like a battle, um, and it's, we, we can't spend too much time on it. And why about the next publication of data? A good practice being given a bad name. We're very well aware of the GPAD data, um, and that's particularly tough. And if you want to talk to any one of us, and um, particularly, um, that's Hayley that sent that in, just, just let us know. Um, capacity, we've raised capacity issue with the ICB. What happens with those patients? When we're when we're full, um, um, UTC have hit their capacity. So I don't know what UTC is. I'm urgent treatment centre. I'm guessing. I don't know what, what we're about to be talking about that, but it doesn't matter. Have hit capacity. So telling patients to come back to us and where we've tri triage patients through care and navigation to pharmacies, they're also returning to us. More often than not, this this might be twenty or so patients. Um, no answers. Um, but support's very welcome, and perhaps military stepping in to help us might you know might make a change. So I think. Certainly, we're hitting a real, a really serious. We didn't think we could get any more um, difficult, did we? But I think we're seeing something different now. Um, and I don't, don't know what nationally they're planning. I know um, Sanjay Patel talking this morning about over the next 24 hours, 36 hours, we should see some changes. Um, we've heard of practices seeing patients in the car park. Is there an increased risk if we see them in the practice or in the car park? Is there anything that we need to be concerned about with that? I've not heard of that myself. No, I don't know, Lisa, Dawn, Michelle, what does CQC have an opinion about that? I don't know whether... No, we're not sure is the answer, so we'll, we'll come back to you if, if you do find anything. Um, yes, um, Hayley, of course, we'll come back to you. That's absolutely fine. Um, we'll, we'll certainly come back to you. And then, that's just an interesting thing. Um, this is the last one on this, then we're going to move on. Um, is there anything enough for patients who are on a daily basis for their drug habit? We can't give them a week's notice of time, so you've got people that have to come in every day what can you do is who would you advise the practice go to to get some advice on that ed i'm not sure to be honest uh no, as on the call it's a, a challenging one i guess it you know if it's defined they need that daily basis then you need it uh, and there may be some um issues around control drugs prescription i guess it's sort of uh um in exceptional times we do exceptional things so it, i guess with cqc yeah. in mind i guess i guess you could take the approach of a a risk assessment and do the risk assessment based on the the current um, finishing of the pandemic crisis. The business sort of trying to get everything back to normal after that, and this current week of everything, and and potentially flex your position on that. But I, I wouldn't get into too much specifics because I don't yeah. know the specifics so around it. We we again would be happy to take a query at the uh, office at wessexlmc.org.uk. Email Absolutely. Address. If you want to send in some anonymized data, um, anonymized information about the patient, and we can just see if we can point you in the right direction. I don't think that's part of our expertise, but always very happy to signpost. So thank you for that. Thank you, Ed, for that um, discussion. That was very helpful. And we're going to move to other things now. So Lisa, I think we're going to come to you. And I think it's about patient ID, new registrations and online access. Thanks, Louise. And I'll just run this to this quickly because I think um, the vast majority of people are, are very, um, very familiar with the arrangements, but we do get the old query coming in. So we thought it might be worth mention. Um, so this is around... Um, 
practices uh, do not can ask for ID at registration. They can't insist. It shouldn't be a barrier to registration. Um, it can often be raised with us um, via people like Healthwatch, um, particularly relating to the ho homeless population um, who may have no ID and may be using a temporary or have no address. Um, so they can, if, if they have that situation, they can offer a friend's address. Uh, they could offer a day centre address, or if you're willing, they can use the practice address. Um, we'd always suggest that you have a, a policy in place so that you can demonstrate consistency across the board and, and you're not um, accused of um, uh, singling anybody in particular out or any group in particular out and just to support your staff having those conversations with people at the front desk. Um, and then just to really confirm that obviously that's slightly different when you're talking about online access where ID checks are required and a practice can verify a patient ID. Um, if the patient uses the NHS app, then they will already have been through the government verification checks. And there is further advice on the NHS website for patients around troubleshooting around using the NHS app and setting that up. Um, but if the patient comes to the practice, um, then their, their ID will be there, will need to be verified. And again, and it's good to have a protocol um, to support your staff when they're doing that. The Royal College of GPs is a good, a good guidance document, particularly on that. So we can post that in chat and that can go out with the podcast afterwards. Um, but just some sort of brief headlines in terms of um, what you will want to do. So um, most patients can provide ID documents um, and similarly to DBS checks, they normally have to provide two forms of documentation um, as proof of ID. One of those should contain including a photo, um, documents that they can use include things like the passport, photo driving licenses, um, bank statements, but not normally utility um, bills. As an alternative, you can vouch for a patient's identity and you just need to choose, and it's down to your discretion as a practice, an authorised member of staff who would know the patient to verify that no deception is taking place and the patient is who they claim to be. Um, you might want to consider how long that they, they've known the patient or how long they've been registered with the practice, um, as well as how, how many times they've been in, how frequently. Um, so it could be appropriate in this circumstance for patients who have been registered for a short period of time, but have been coming in frequently, or for those that have been registered for a long time, um, but are seen less frequently. Um, uh, so when... Um, you want confirmation, you just want to double check in terms of vouching for somebody's ID. You might want to ask them specific questions relating to the, med the medical record. So obviously, you just need to be a bit careful around what questions you ask and what you do with that. Um, so that just needs to clearly be discreet. And ideally, in the context of a planned appointment, um, it's important that the questions posed don't incidentally disclose information that could be confidential to the applicant before you you verify their identity. Um, so we've got lots of information around that on our website. As I've said, Royal College of GPs have a really good online access guide that provides loads of resources around that and templates so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, so we just really wanted to give people a quick refresher um, and mention it, particularly when they've got new staff coming on board. I know that staff turnover is quite an issue at the moment. Thank you, Lisa. That's really Thanks, helpful. Um, Dawn, a quick PCSE update, I think. Yes, thanks, Louise. Yes, very quick one from me from PCSE. Uh, just a reminder about um, 
personalised prescription pads. Uh, have you got enough or will you run out over Christmas? Xerox, who actually print these up and send them off to PCSE to come out to you at practices, have informed um, PCSE that they will um, process those requests up until Friday the 16th of December. However, they cannot guarantee that you'll get them before Christmas and all outstanding orders will then be delivered after week commencing 2nd of January. Um, so it's just a suggestion. Check you've got enough personalised prescription pads and uh, order as soon as possible. Thank Good. You. Thank you, Dawn. Good tip. Um, Michelle, I think we're coming to you for about a contract variation. Uh, we are. Thanks, Louise. Um, so I just wanted to mention that... Um, Usually once or twice a year, nationally, the contract variations are put out to practices um, for GMS and PMS contracts. And interestingly, um, something that we've become aware of over the last week is that as per Section 57 of Schedule 3 of the regulations, if a variation isn't signed by the date given in the notice, and that has to be at least 14 days afterwards, and the contract is varied without the contractor's consent. So we have been asked um, questions as to whether if they don't sign the variations, as to whether that holds them to practice, holds them to um, undertake what's uh, within the GMS uh, variation. And actually, I think it sounds like it's potentially irrelevant because it automatically comes into place after 14 days of the contract variation being put in, uh, being issued. So it's really just to highlight that to, to practice. And as I say, that's something we've recently become aware of. Thank you, Michelle. That's great. Um, and in our sort of little news roundup, I just wanted to just highlight in case practice managers hadn't seen it, but the BMA are working on an enhanced offering for GP practice to better support during difficult times. Really want to hear from practice managers. This might be a golden opportunity. So the BMA are asking for your opinions. So do please give them, please do spend time with them if you can possibly spare the time. We'll put the link um, up on the um, on the website with the, with the podcast it's via the BMA if you want to get involved and just offer some solutions because you might well have some very good ideas that they could do with sharing. I think with Dawn, we're coming back to you. We're going to sort of concentrate now on vaccine. We're delighted to think Richard Hull joined us from Ashleys. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, so Richard will be um, talking to us in just a couple of minutes. But Dawn, you've got a couple of bits you wanted to share first, I think. <clears throat> yes, thanks, Louise. It kind of does actually fit with what Richard's going to talk about as well. Um, yes, if you've been claiming drug reimbursements or your FP34 claims, that kind of process, um, and you've been doing so by using a pooled list code, it's quite probable that you have actually um, got or had a shortfall in your claims. Uh, it has been identified and it is being dealt with by NHS England and practices in England and Wales that have a pooled list are being advised to check for significant shortfalls in reimbursement. Um, they're saying it's since the transition of Open Exeter to PCSE. There is an explanatory letter, which we can post next to the podcast if you want to have a look at that. But essentially, yes, if you've been claiming as a pooled list, there's probably a likely shortfall in your claims. Um, and, you know, they'll be looking to obviously reimburse you appropriately um, as and when that is all uh, stabilised. <clears throat> and the other thing I was just going to mention very quickly, quickly before we come to Richard, is the JCVI have actually um, put out their uh, usual recommendation for the year following, i.e. 23-24, for the influenza vaccines for next year's um, program. Uh, it's very similar, really, to what we've had for this year. Um, it's not overly helpful in as much, well, so overly helpful, in as much as they have noted um, about the 50 to 64-year-old 
cohort saying that basically it's under review. Um, it quite likely might not be cost effective to include this cohort for next year, um, but um, there's no firm decision on that. So, so the jury's kind of out on that one. We will start um, a new web page for influenza season 23-24 shortly, and we'll put that JCVI recommendation on there. Although, as we know, that's not the same as the annual reimbursement letter that we do need to wait for from NHS England. And that's all from me for now, Lewis. Thank you, Dawn. So, Richard, hopefully, I can see you join us. Hopefully, you'll be able to um, come on screen and um, your audio will be working. So, I'm just, here we go. It looks like you're coming in now. Hi, Richard. Very nice to see you again. Hello, Louise. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, that's a pleasure. So, so Richard has been talking to um, Dawn, and they've been. We've had some queries from practices in a couple of months ago about looking at their calculations of how their flu campaign has gone, looking at the um, claims, the reimbursements, and um, Dawn and um, Richard have had some good conversations. So, I'll try and unpick this. And I know Dawn has chatted to a few of you, perhaps managers, and that has been helpful to you. So, we thought we'd ask Richard on this call. So, Richard is one of our trainers that we work with from Ash Lane, and a very, very experienced that all things to do with um, drug reimbursement, PPA reimbursement, that sort of thing, and actually will be very, very helpful. So, Richard, I think you've got a little blue calculator to share with us and you're going to share some um, some wisdom. So, as ever, put um, questions that you have for Richard um, in our Q&A box and we will come to them um, as we can. Thank you very much. And I can see you've got a very packed um, programme here. It's the subject I can talk about for hours. So, how long have I got, Louise? So, I don't so you've got a max. We, we need to finish at two, Richard. Fine, I better get on with it then. Yes, yeah, so and I do welcome questions. I imagine if you can fire them into Louise and Louise, just interrupt me with questions as yep, we go. Yep, that's fine. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Let me. Sh can I share my screen? Can I do that? Yeah, let's do that. You should be able to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can. So I've prepared a few slides. As I mentioned, I could happily talk about this all day. Um, so I'm Richard. I'm going to talk to you about the importance of flus and how they impact on your practice profits, with a particular focus on calculating all of that as well. Before I do, though, um, Dawn, the, you know, the message you sent about the pool list there, very proud to be able to say that's something that we actually spotted last year and have been lobbying ever since to get this addressed. So finally, uh, something's happening about that. Um, and just for, for those of you who don't know what it is, it really only applies to system one practices. In our experience, it's only system one practices that have inadvertently fallen foul of this issue. Um, if you've got any, any concerns about that, I'd be very happy to, to talk to you about it separately. But back on the topic of flus. Well, firstly, who am I and why am I able to talk about this? So along with my wife, Tracy, we run Ash Lane Consulting. I'm sure we've come across many of you. We've been working with Wessex LMC and member practices for, well, for 10 years now. But our focus is increasing your drugs payments, income and profits. So a quick kind of setting the scene here, we're talking about the items that you're claiming, which include flus. They are processed through the FP34 um, or claimed by the FP34, processed and paid. For lots of practice, all you ever really see is um, a statement on your prescribing drug statement or your dispensing drug statement of an amount of money. But so you can really understand um, the economics of it and the profitability, you need to be able to work out, well, what's that number made up of? Uh, it's not some number plucked from the air. Uh, there is a, a business model that underpins all of this. So for your flus, along with all of the other personally admitted items, what you need to understand is the, the, the way it's calculated. You start with the basic price that's published and 
you know, in fact, your suppliers will always tell you what it is. Um, that's what you'll be paid for each flu. But there are some adjustments. The first is discount. Now, discount's normally a good thing, but in this case, it's money taken off you. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just an amount that's deducted. You get the VAT allowance of 20%, and you get a dispensing fee for every flu given. So if you start to build a spreadsheet, you can put those into the spreadsheet, and you can start to calculate how much you're going to be paid. Now, if you don't know what the, um, the discount is, well, there's a table you can look up um, that'll tell you, and, I'll, and all of these slides will be available to you. So there's the discount. It starts at 3.17%, but it's based on the, the value of that month's claim. So because during the flu season, it'll be quite a high value, you're going to be looking at an 8 or 9% discount. The dispensing fee, well, they change every six months, but again, they're also banded. And again, you can look these up. For prescribing any practice, you should be getting £2.98.8 pence currently. Dispensing will be less because A, it's a lower, it's a lower band, a, a lower rate, but also because of the very high volume of, of items going through the dispensary, you'll be, you'll be down at this level. It's banded this time based on the quantity given per prescriber per month. So you'll have spotted that the trick is going to be to include all of your prescribers and divide the items between them. And that way you'll get the maximum, um, you'll get the maximum dispensing fee for all of your prescribers. Okay, so that's the basics of it. But let me just, and I'm gonna come back to this um, to work out for a flu campaign overall, how much money is at stake? That's where the calculator comes into it. But let me just tell you about a couple of other things whilst uh, whilst we're on the topic. I mean, I'll just quickly mention the fact that the reason that um, we're helping so many practices is because there are so many pitfalls to this whole process. Pitfalls that can occur in the claims process and in the payments process. And you'll see that pool list is, is one of the items that's mentioned. So there are lots of ways in which this can go wrong which is why I emphasize the importance of understanding what you're claiming and how much you're going to be paid so that you can spot whether or not that's happening successfully. But the bottom line is, if you're worried about your income and your profits for your, for your drugs, well, there's a whole range of contributing reasons that could be impacting them, or it could be none of them, it could be something else. Flus, though, are the most important drug that any practice does all year, and that can include dispensing practices as well. Why? Why are they so important? Well, they can make up for a prescribed, well, for all practices, they can make up up to half of your income for your PA items. But they actually are very profitable. Well, they, they used to be very profitable. Just in terms of that reimbursement of the drug, the typical profit margin was 40 to 50%. This year, that's dropped significantly. It's now more like 20 to 30%. But on top of that, so that's just on the reimbursement of the drug. On top of that, you get an enhanced service fee as well. So that, along with the profit on the drug, means that it's, it's very worthwhile. However, and I put a, put a big but here, uh, if you get caught out with stock you can't use and you're having to therefore write off, that can very rapidly erode your, your profit. Now, that's actually quite a significant issue because that leads practices to make a judgment about how many they should order. And they're going to be, you know, you're going to be conservative. You don't want to be left with too much stock. But then that can mean you're failing to achieve the actual 
you know, clinical outcome, which is getting everybody inoculated. But that's what the calculator does. It allows you to understand where to, where to strike that balance. So let's just look at an example. So remember the formula I gave you at the beginning. Let's apply that now to the Securus Quad. The cost of those is typically, including VAT, 12 pounds. The, another, when I say typically, no, it, it depends on what you've negotiated with your supplier, but that's what we're typically seeing this season. The NHS refund is absolutely fixed at 12 pounds 50. If we take off a typical discount of, of 1 pound 20, add the VAT back, which is 20%, and then add the dispensing fee for a prescribing only practice, that's £16.55, which is £4.55 of profit on the reimbursement. So a profit margin of 27%, plus an enhanced service fee. Now, all of that is something that we've built into our uh, flu calculator. So in fact, I'll just jump to it. It's, it's in a spreadsheet form. And it's, um, let me just check that you can see that. Okay, so I've listed the flus there. They're all the ones that are available this season. We've got the basic prices there, and then everything else is to be added. So we now, if we're going to use this to plan next season's purchases, well, your guess is as good as mine as to what the dispensing fee will be. So let's assume it's the same as today. The discount I've put in a typical figure because, of course, it depends on the, the value and whether you're prescribing only or dispensing. But when you've got your supplier quotation, you, they'll give you the price. So if they give you a price of £10, excluding VAT, you put that in there. But they'll also give you a penalty-free penalty refund percentage. In other words, how many can you return without incurring any cost? So if you go ahead and order 1,000 um, flus, and then you're going to predict, of course, that you're going to give 1,000. So there's no cost of any destroyed. You're going to get the full refund. Um, and that gives you a profit on those flus for the PAs, but also the enhanced service fee gives you a profit overall for the activity. If, though, you're going to order 2,000, but then you're thinking, well, actually, well, we might only give 1,500. In this example, 10% of them can be returned um, without any without any penalty, but that will leave another 300 that will effectively be a cost without any income. So you can start to see the effect on the profits overall. So you can then, of course, do that for all of the different options that are available. You can put the same figures in against each flu that's available to you in each season. And you can see the effects in terms of total profit of one option compared to another. Okay. So, yeah, it's reasonably simple, but it's built into it is the is that um is that is that kind of the business model of how these things are reimbursed let's go back to my slide okay so that's the basics then of um of how you calculate your clues but i also wanted to give you a few more insights that might help you because as i mentioned these are so important <laughs> but you can get it wrong. And it can very rapidly go from being profitable when everything goes perfectly to actually being quite uh, yeah, quite worrying in terms of how much money you can lose. So I just pulled together then a selection of the many issues we have identified and encountered over the, over the years. And I'm pleased to say being able to fix um, 
because again, these are all kind of warning points for you. So last year, you may have heard about this, another issue that we discovered and, and realized that 1,800 practices across the country had claimed the wrong flu ad. And they lost out three million pounds together as a result of that. It was a very simple error they made. Why prescription services didn't alert them to it, I do not know, but prescription services just paid them for the, for an out-of-date flu that was no longer relevant because they hadn't completely completed the appendix by, correctly. Now, the appendix is a handwritten form. It's very easy to make errors and, and miss uh, writing correctly what you're claiming. So, yeah, that, that costs them a lot of money. Uh, again, it can be rectified. Uh, if, if you're worried about that, it can be fixed. Um, quite regularly, flu is not being claimed by the practice. So, yeah, underclaiming is a big problem. Um, again, I mentioned all these pitfalls, not only with how you code things, but the way that they're reported by the system. Um, flu is just being yeah, lost in the system and not claimed. So that's where they're coded, but then the codes are not correct, so the searchers don't find them. Then we've had issues where the flus are being claimed and not paid. A good example of that is the pooled list issue. So pooled list applied to volume vaccines, principally applied to volume vaccines. So again, many, many practices haven't been paid a penny or reimbursed a penny for the flus um, from last year because of this pool list issue. Incorrect NHS refund rates applied. Again, that's happened quite regularly. Um, and then there are other issues where you get too much money. So when the flus became more complicated, when you started having different cohorts, there are examples of practices doing searches for flus, claiming for them, but then almost repeating the searches for the other cohort, but bringing in the first cohort and then and then overclaiming. But also claiming for flus not given at your practice. Again, another common error that you can inadvertently claim for, for flus given elsewhere. And, uh, and, and duplicating claims. So again, on more than one occasion, a practice has claimed for their flus, then done the following month's claim, but not got the dates correct and actually repeated the previous month's claim as well. So all of those are things that say, well, actually, you've got to have a, a rigid process, a robust process, but you've got to build in checks as well uh, at every stage of that process. The next thing I quickly wanted to, again, raise your attention to, and again, do please ask questions about all of this. Flus, because it's so important, is something to consider all year. Uh, it's not just an activity, a flurry of activity around now. It really does need to be a, a year-long cycle. And the other, well, there's two reasons for this. One is it's 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 very it's a lot of money, but the other is you are in direct competition with pharmacies. Uh, you're in competition for the right to get the revenue for a particular patient. They're your patients, so there's no reason for them to go anywhere else, providing you can provide them with that flu in a convenient, easy way. So around June, July time is when you need to be planning. You need to be finding out about what the codes are going to be, finding about the cohorts, finding about the flus you need to purchase, or you'll already purchase them, but making sure your systems are being prepared and set up, ready to make sure that nothing gets miscoded when the, when the time comes to, to administer them. Later on, marketing, and I mean that in the truest sense of the, the word, it's about reaching your patients by a variety of means, making it as simple as possible for them to find out about their ability to get a flu at the appropriate time, from the, from the practice. And then of course, in the delivery, it, you need to involve every single member of staff. Everybody has a role to play in making sure every patient receives their flu jab at your practice. And that's a combination of processes, of targets and rewards, 
of how you organize the practice. So, for example, having uh, an area where any patient can just go and immediately get a, a jab from the next clinician who becomes available in between uh, treatments and so on. But it doesn't end there. What's really important is that after you finish the flus, the payments arrive two months later. So actually from November to May is when you need to be checking every payment. So for that, you need to have really good data on what you've what you've given. And all of those issues I alluded to earlier, well, none of those were spotted by the practices because they weren't tracking everything. You need to track how many you claimed. And you've got the good thing is you've got two ways of doing it. You've got the uh, clinical system um, tracking of the vaccines, and then you've got the CQRS reports as well. And you've got stock. So if you systematically compare your stock, your clinical system, your CQRS extracts, it'll all hopefully indicate whether you are successfully claiming for everything. But then two months later, a bit like the pool list example, you need to track the payments against the claims because if a mistake has been made, I'm afraid that um, if you don't spot it, nobody will. So yeah, weekly process for doing that is really important, not monthly, leaving to the end of the month is too late, but yeah, you've got lots of opportunity to build in checks. So just to briefly then finish with the system that we recommend um, and the, the calculator that I alluded to is, is part of a service that we provide to all of our practices um, that overlays the claims process with a system called Compass, which we've developed that allows the practice each month to understand what they're claiming. The calculator prompts them for all of the things they should be claiming, along with the flus, allows them to track what they have claimed, allows them to include the costs and to know what they're going to be paid. Uniquely then, it also features reconciliation with the payment from PCSE two months later. So this is a good example of how we spotted the pluralist issue. As soon as it occurred, we spotted it because when we combine those two things together, we generate a revenue assurance report. So this immediately flags whether the practice has been paid, what we forecast, what Compass forecast. And if not, why not? And it's usually relating to either vaccines or doctors. So because these graphs are showing the individual doctors, um, quite regularly, payment issues are to do with a doctor joining or leaving or something going wrong with a particular doctor. So we reconcile it back to each doctor. So, yeah, that's that's how our practices are able to keep on, on top of this. Um, and it includes, as well as the monthly uh, revenue assurance calculator, we provide additional tools such as the, the flu calculator I showed you earlier. So... Um, I'll leave you. I'll, I'll go back to that slide because that was the original one that I was I was asked about. So, how do you calculate? How do you manage this whole process of understanding your your costs and income and, and, and profits from your flus? And the answer is apply that formula. Apply that to your supplier invoices to know what your um, your income is going to be and your costs are, and from that you can calculate your profits. But I would like to just stop at that point and just say 
Are there any questions? Yes, perfect. Thank you, Richard. That's so useful. So, so interesting. And you clearly know absolutely everything there is about this, which is very, very reassuring to listen to. Um, so your slides are very useful. You put it across in a really helpful way. We've just had, if somebody was interested in finding out a little bit more and somebody has just said, how much does the Compass income system cost per month? Is that something that you can say straight away or does it depend on the size? Yeah, absolutely. The so the for prescribing early practices, it's £55 per month. Um, plus VAT, and that includes the use of the system, but it also includes free access to our training webinars um, and support from the team. So if you're unsure about what to claim, if you there are a lot, yeah, there are lots of as I mentioned pitfalls. So we'll we'll be on hand to to really share all those insights that we get with our with our member practices. Lovely dispensing practices. It's more because mm -hmm. the dispensing version of this covers the whole dispensary which is 10 times the value we're talking about. You know, we're talking about one or two million pounds a year and it covers all of that. So it's the same principle, but the, the cost for that is more, but depending on the size of the, of the dispensary. That makes perfect sense. Thank you, Richard. Just a couple of things that you mentioned. You mentioned marketing. I think we have to, some perhaps get a little bit carried away some years with their marketing, I think. And I think, I don't know whether Lisa or Michelle, you want to come in about just, just a, a couple of top tips about what you are allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. Um, I think Lisa... I think it's just, um, I think you can make um, patients aware of, of the importance of flu. You can share some of the resources that are produced locally and nationally around the flu campaign. I think it's just about um, being careful not to um, be seen to sort of Co coerce patients into using your service saying that your service is better than everybody else's so it's just about just maintaining those messages nothing to say that you can't absolutely highlight it make people aware of the importance what's available absolutely but just be be careful about how you sort of pitch it okay and michelle did you want to come in on that at all I think Lisa said most of it, but I think it's about being factual. So it's yes. it needs to be factual with the information you market. Not just saying, not putting everybody else down, but just saying what you can offer. Okay. And I think we have lots of information about flu on our website, including claims. Um, and as um, Dawn mentioned a little bit earlier in the webinar, she's actually going to start the pages for 22, 23, or are we 23, 24, 23, 24, isn't it? The last one. Oh, my goodness. So we're already starting that. So, Richard, we don't ever forget about flu. Um, and... Um, Yes, we have actually written a very basic lunch and learn, which is a PowerPoint presentation and a script. If anybody wants to take their, their team through a flu campaign, because those of us who've done it for a few years kind of get it, but it does change every year. And there are, of course, new staff all the time. So that's just a way of engaging the whole team into understanding. So I would just say thank you, Richard. That has been extremely helpful. If you're OK, just to shut that um share screen down now that would be lovely and then we're just going to round off the webinar and if people obviously you've got your contact details um, on your screen which is very helpful if anybody wants to contact you directly i'm sure that would be fine and we can put anybody in touch with richard if that would be helpful so it's been one of our longest but one of our busiest and but um, thank you so much for all your engagement today um we just know how manic it is we'll do what we can to help don't forget we're here anything you can possibly do um and the podcast that we mentioned a little bit earlier will be coming out um this afternoon so please encourage all your clinicians to listen to that so thank you very much richard and um, thank you ed and uh, thank you to um Joe, who came on a little bit earlier, and Dawn, Lisa, um, Lisa and Michelle. It's been fantastic to have you all with us. Thank you also for all of you who are listening or watching, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.